Hello, welcome to the Purple and Bold podcast from the Daily News Record. I'm Shane Metlin, uh, here with Noah Fleischman. We're your JMU beat writers from the DNR, uh, talking about uh, the previous week of JMU sports, which was not a great week for JMU sports all around. Um, baseball team had a rough go of it in Long Island. Uh, lacrosse loses in the second round of the NCAA tournament. And uh, some football transfer news that JMU fans were not not looking for here um no and i we'll start we'll give a little recap of ncaa lacrosse tournament first postseason action for any jmu team for uh quite a while since back in uh, december when the football team was in the fcs playoffs uh opening game against uconn went pretty well uh no you were there for the second round game i covered the opener um obviously they didn't bring the same kind of uh performance against loyola a 10 goal loss uh you know, worst performance in quite a while for the uh, for the team that won 11 straight going into that one. W- what did you see on Sunday? Yeah, I mean, it was overall a totally different game than what you saw against UConn. And, and JMU playing a team for the first time after playing UConn earlier in the year, they're playing Loyola, who basically from the first quarter asserted its dominance. JMU got on the board early, then Loyola just took over, scored six in a row. First time JMU given up six in a row since playing against Rutgers at home, which obviously was not a good loss. It was kind of in JMU's up-and-down stretch at the beginning of the year. And they really didn't have much defense play, really. Loyola found holes in the defense to get through and, and get up close and really not give Molly or anyone else in goal a chance. And, I mean, when you look at it like that, you're not going to win the game when teams are taking point-blank shots at your goal, and that's exactly what Loyola was doing. So 18 goals, the most that Jamie's allowed all year, and it just came at the wrong time. Yeah, point black shines was the big thing that uh, jumped out to me because that's just not what you saw from Jamie's defense for a long time. Um, even when they were losing games, they weren't giving up a ton of goals, and the defense has been so solid all year long. And, um, you know, really, uh, you know, Shelly Clays has talked about early in the season, she thought maybe their mentality, their identity, and everything was a little too much on the defensive end that they weren't you know <clears throat> looking to score goals because they could rely on their defense and so to see that them just giving up so many point blank shots was that was a surprising thing to me like not that they lost but just kind of the manner that it happened yeah i mean when you give up that many shots and i mean the shot the save differential was insane i mean you jane you had shots they weren't really outshot by that many it was just loyola's goalkeeping was stellar making a lot of big time saves for them and Jamie had the chances, they just couldn't convert, and you look on the defensive end, and Loyola took advantage, and I think that was the biggest difference. Um, you know, Jamie was able to pull within three at one point in the second quarter, and then Loyola kind of pulled away from there, and, and it was all downhill from there for Jamie. Yeah, and the big-time saves is interesting because that's something that Molly Doggerty was doing for Jamie the previous game. I mean, she's done it her entire career at Jamie. Yeah. You know, obviously she's a national championship goalie and has been outstanding for years. Um, but... You know, she stopped a UConn, little little UConn run. UConn was threatening early in the second half on Friday night. Um, you know, it was Molly who came up with big saves and, you know, doing what she does. And she just really didn't have a chance against Loyola. Um, that offense was, you know, looking so good. Um, you know, you know, got to give Loyola some credit because, you know, coming in, I think Jamie was fairly confident they could get out of the first weekend. Um and part of that was because, like, you know, it, it was obvious. You know, Jamie says, look at our schedule we played. Loyola, yeah, they've only got one loss, but, like, they haven't played anybody. So you got to give Loyola credit for, you know, proving that they were as good as their record showed and, you know, their seeding and everything. And, you know, you look at it now, like, maybe that's a team that has a chance to make a, a pretty 
significant run. I mean, obviously, you know, they're, they're moving on. They're, they're, they're deep in it now. But, like, you know, maybe they're a national championship contender if you look at what they did to JMU. And then you look at JMU's resume, winning at Maryland, everything. Like, you know, Loyola might be as good as anybody in the country right now. Yeah, it was kind of interesting. I mean, early in the week you saw JMU kind of, I don't want to say downplaying Loyola, but they weren't, they were, you know, saying taking Loyola. Like, if you got a draw with Maryland or someone and you saw that in your second-round game. But Loyola definitely came to play, and they they were there, the better team that day. And they may not have been the better team the whole year, but in the tournament setting, you only got to be the better team for one day out of the at a time, and that's what Loyola did. And playing on their home field didn't hurt. I mean, great crowd on hand for both teams, though, and, and it was good atmosphere for, for a postseason game. But at the end of the day, we all made shots. JMU had opportunities, just couldn't find back in the net. Yeah. Um, and it, and it's, it was striking, too, because if you just go back um, to the previous game against uh, UConn, uh, JMU completely shut down Sidney Watson, who was you know first-team All-American for UConn, just completely took her out of the game. Other, other than her winning some draw controls, they she does a little bit of everything for UConn. You know, playing midfield, playing defense, also like their top scorer, and she was just not in that game. And you know, you so you gotta give JMU a lot of credit there. But you know, you also see the difference between um, in that game, JMU was clearly they were the deep team. They had players all over the field making plays and not relying on just one person. And so, what you see when they play against a team like Loyola is all of a sudden they're playing somebody just as deep as them, just as balanced as them. And you know, you see that like it's not the same kind of challenge when you're playing teams that good i think maybe they just were expecting that further down the road yeah i mean when you look at, at loyola they had someone score five goals but overall at for for the for the opening six or seven goals it was a new person scoring every time for loyola and i mean that's something right there you can't really take one person out of the game because they had a number of people in the field that could also make make things happen and that's what we saw and unfortunately for jmu it had ended their run but i mean They've made the Sweet 16 for the last six tries. I mean, they, this is JMU. Like, Shelly kind of talked about it after the game, but she was talking about how, you know, they won in 2018 as a mid-major and Loyola being in the same boat as a mid-major. And she thinks that, you know, seeing mid-majors do this and find success is good for the sport, but also JMU isn't really mid-major in its performance-wise, just making these deep runs every year. And, and I think that's something that even if you look at getting balanced in the second game for the second year in a row, it's hard to do, especially not from a power conference. So it's, it's as long as people think may look at it as a disappointing weekend, winning one game. But I mean, if you look at the end of the day, most mid majors don't even get out of their first game. So yeah, it was just you know when they saw the draw, and I think like we said, you got to give Loyola credit because they 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 proved that they deserve the seating they got. Um, which you know did just look at the draw, Loyola did not play. A challenging schedule so their record could have been misleading they, they showed that it wasn't and that that's the bottom line that they showed they were actually one of the best teams in the country when they got a chance to prove it yeah Mo- moving on a little bit um just quickly on just baseball before we get to some football yeah. news uh you know it's been, been a rough road trip for them and uh even going up going to play Hofstra getting swept um just you know some some really really uh non-appealing performances going up there is it how, how disappointing is that are they getting to the stretch where we've seen it with some other jmu teams this year where they see the end line they see no tournament in front of them and it just becomes kind of hard to like dig in deep and find performances are we seeing that from jmu baseball right now or is it just like 
just what happens in a long season. I mean, I think it's just what happens in a long season. I mean, you're on an 11-game road trip at the end of the year. I mean, guys are done with classes, graduation. And, and I don't think it's the fact that they see the end of the line and they're like, okay, like, well, there's really nothing to play for. I mean, this was a team that, coming into this past weekend, had only, only lost one CAA series. And that was at Charleston where they got walked off twice. So getting swept at Hofstra is definitely something that's like, wow. But at the same time, I mean, the wheels fell off big time. You saw they put up eight runs in the first inning on Sunday against Jamie's ace, Justin Showalter. He pitched on Sunday because the week before they had rain cancel their Friday and Saturday game, so he pitched seven innings on that Sunday, so to get him back to his rest, he, he pitched the, the series finale. And, I mean, Jamie's bats really couldn't get going, and you saw yesterday against Maryland, Maryland did a lot of damage for just home runs, long balls, killing killing Jamie on that one. And Jamie played Maryland close at, in Harrisonburg early in the year, and then Maryland went to 12-2 and so yesterday. So, I mean, they're coming home starting tomorrow for the final three games of the season. I think that this could end on a high note and just see UNCW, so it's not going to be an easy task for them, but I think they're going to be motivated to, to end the year on a high note, especially playing at home for the last three games and, and what they'll be honoring this weekend and, and things like that. So... Overall, I think it's just the, the wear and tear of a long year. It's 56 games. It's probably a little bit less than that with games getting canceled to terrain. But you definitely don't want to be on a 3-7 and seven stretch toward the end of the year, and that's just what kind of happened. Yeah, how much will, I guess, all the other the sideline stuff, how, how will that kind of you know help them bounce back this weekend? Because it's going to be senior night for baseball players. They're going to honor the softball seniors. They're going to honor Lauren Burnett. Uh, so they got some things going to maybe like kind of like revamp. Revamp, yeah. revamp their energy a little bit. Yeah, I think it might help because I mean they've been home, they've been away from home every weekend. You're always getting on a bus. You're you're traveling somewhere, and now I think that coming back to JMU, they're gonna have the 22 on the backstop and in the outfield. They're doing a lot of things, so I think that just may be an added motivation of being back in a, in a familiar territory and also playing for more than just yourself. At Virginia Tech, they lost, but they had talked about you know they're just back on the field playing for playing for Lauren right after that happened and. So I think coming back here for the first time since since she died, I think it'll be a big time, big time motivating factor for them. Yeah, and one other I guess note of this upcoming baseball series is like once it's done, uh, don't forget to cancel your Flow Sports subscriptions because that, <laughs> that that that'll be it for JMU on there. Um, and I think that's the date a lot of people have been looking forward to uh, for J- for JMU fans. Like it, it all done with Flow Sports after this weekend. I mean, you could cancel and come out to. the the veterans from yeah. Park too. <laughs> well, I mean, I think I, I would guess some of the people that are continuing to subscribe are the ones that don't live very close. But uh, true. Yeah, yeah. Um, so we'll move on. Probably what everybody's expecting us to talk about right now. Uh, surprising news on Tuesday night. Yeah. Uh, Diamante Tucker Dorsey, JMU's you know, arguably best football player. Um, At least on best, the defensive yeah, side. Yeah, best of the ball. on the defensive side of the ball. A star linebacker, All American, All Conference guy. Um, Seemed extremely happy at JMU during spring ball. Is now in the transfer portal that comes yeah. out Tuesday night. That was that was a bit of a shocker. As much as anything can be a shocker when it comes to the transfer portal these days, that one was. Uh, what was your initial reaction once you saw that? I mean, I saw that and I thought it was kind of interesting timing, just because technically the portal closed for the one-time transfer, but with being a graduate student, it'd be a little bit easier if you would like to transfer. Just get a waiver for your your grad program, and the NCAA will most likely approve it. But overall, over the spring, we saw Diamante really step up as a leader, kind of replacing the void left by Mike Green being that defensive leader. Diamante, we talked to him many times after practice. If if you don't know how that works, it's kind of 
um, Signetti will, will pick a few players, and that's who we get to talk to. And we talked to him multiple times after practice. We talked to him after the spring game. So he is a guy that JMU is really looking for that leadership quality out of um, this coming fall. And he entered the portal, and it's kind of like, okay, it's an interesting timing. And, and in this day and age, if you enter the portal at a later time, maybe somebody was talking to you, maybe, you know, something will happen. But it sounds like it could also be a possibility of just testing your options. And you see it in basketball all the time, in college basketball, where guys enter the NBA draft and then pull out and go back to school. So it could be a similar way of just weighing all your options before using your last year of eligibility. But he's got an offer from Florida State this morning, and, and we'll see what else happens. But he's also leaving the return to Jamie on the table. And so I think we'll, we'll get a better understanding of this in the next couple of days. Yeah, that that was the surprising thing is just the timing of the whole thing because – you know, the May 1st deadline for the one-time transfer was probably – that probably adds a little bit to it, especially if you're not as familiar with how that all works. But, like, that aspect of it is not that huge of a deal because, like you said, he's grad transfer. Um, he can apply for the waiver there, like, you know, just saying, yeah, I've got to go to grad school at this place. This is where I need to be. Um, and, and most likely get that. What What seems so surprising is, like, a guy of his caliber – player knowing he probably has some options he could have started exploring those options at the end of the fall and he could have started exploring those options before spring ball he could start exploring those options after spring ball there was never really any indication any of those times that that was something he was going to do he seemed so excited about his brother joining the team at jmu this year um so just taking all that into account it was you know it, it was pretty surprising because i mean you look at you can go back to into the fall antoine wells enters the portal ends up at south carolina like very quickly ends up at south carolina a week later not terribly surprising a guy that talented that young you know he's going to have some options he does it at you know a time that makes a lot of sense this one came a little bit as a bigger shock not only for the reasons we mentioned also you know, as good as Diamante is, he's a little bit undersized at linebacker for what, you know, maybe some of the Power Five programs might be looking for. He's only got one year left to play, um, as opposed to, you know, Antoine's going in, going to give somebody, you know, three or four years. It, it's, it, it's just a really interesting development and ha- kind of hard to figure exactly what he's thinking unless he was made aware of some sort of opportunities that might be available to him elsewhere. Yeah, I'm not sure, I guess, what the the reasoning jumping in the portal. I mean, I think we'll find out in the next couple of days of more more clearly of what's going on. Um, but he's a guy over the spring who saw his role really get big time. I mean, with Corey Heatherman leaving for Rutgers, Brian Haynes, the linebacker's coach, got elevated to defensive coordinator as well, which really gave Diamante a lot more responsibility on the field of being that linebacker's coach, basically. Because once your position coach has to take on the coordinator role, it's less time your position's going to get from him. And, and so I think that Diamante really embraced that. He talked about after spring game kind of being that guy on the field that's the leader and, and that's the coach for, for the linebackers. And So it's kind of an interesting timing, but I think at the same time, this timing could help JMU in a way because he may just turn around and come back next week. I mean, that's definitely on the table, and, and at this point of the year, most teams are filling their rosters out, so how many opportunities are really out there? And and at the end of the day, we haven't seen JMU really go after any linebackers in the last 12, 24 hours, and 
I think that is probably the biggest sign to me that there's a possibility of him coming back because if you, if you knew you're losing your starting linebacker, the leader of your defense, I think you're going to go out in the portal and look for somebody. And we haven't really seen JMU at least publicly make contact um, with anybody or offer any transfer linebackers. So if JMU fans are looking for a bright note on this, is there's a possibility just because they're not actively, at least haven't really actively seeked out a, a linebacker yet. Yeah, that, that's interesting because, you know, we're at a point right now where we're just well, – all we're doing is reading between the lines on things. Yeah. But, you know, you can go back. I, I mentioned Antoine Wells, his, you know, entering the portal, you know, as a similar caliber type of player. Like you said, for one, he had offers He'd offers immediately. 20 minutes. Yeah, of uh, immediately he was getting all kinds of offers. And then immediately after he – Entered the portal, JMU immediately went and got two grad, got two grad wide receivers. Yeah, exactly. They they were on wide receivers right away. So just reading between the lines, this seems different because you know I'll admit my first see you see Diamante tweet it. My first thought is like, okay, he's he's aware of some nil opportunities somewhere. Um, that 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 would make sense. Like that would be a reason to leave JMU. Um, but then like. He didn't get those. He didn't have a list of you know ten offers within two hours of yeah. putting his name out there, like you know some guys do. So maybe it is more of a you know testing the waters type of thing, where it's like I wonder what kind of NAL opportunities I might have, and if it is better than what I you know have in front of me at JMU, he's going to get Power Five offers. I mean, we've already seen it. He's he's got one Florida State. He, you know, by the time we check our phones when we get off of here, he might have more. Um, but then he's got a way is a power five offer where I'm not, you know, the main guy, I'm not going to be like drawing a lot of NIL money. Is that any better than, you know, playing in a group of five at JMU? Is it not? What are my NIL opportunities at JMU? And that's something that like is going to be interesting to see how that develops here over the summer, because that really hasn't happened at JMU to the level I might have expected if we go back to last spring when it became when it became a thing I kind of expected more local businesses and stuff to kind of step up in that regard and just frankly JMU I know there's some frustration with coaches in various sports at JMU that they're not seeing that from various businesses that they go and they talk to the boosters and they talk to their neighbors and whatnot and they're not really getting involved in that way while they're facing the prospect of losing their players to other schools where that is happening. Um, I think there was a little bit more of an expectation from JMU fan from JMU coaches that JMU fans would be a little bit more involved in this than they, than they are. So that that's an interesting aspect of it. But at this point, there's really not any hard evidence that this is like an NAL thing that there's, you know, he's getting anything anywhere else, No, but maybe he's kind of just, like he said, test the waters, put it out there. He's tweeted several times, my DMs are open, like he's looking for some info. And th- that'll be interesting to see just what happens over the next couple of days. Yeah, I mean, for, for you to be able to actually talk to other teams in a legal way in the NCAA's eyes, you need to be in the portal. So, I mean, that could be just the, I'm going to get in the portal, we're going to see what the options are, and if JMU, he's, he's told people JMU's still on the table. He's retweeted people saying, come back to JMU, right? So yeah. he's obviously very aware of what the JMU fans want him to do, and that's to come back. And I think this could just be a classic case of you, you've seen it in other sports of guys getting in the portal, checking <coughs> things out, and realizing, you know what, I'll go back to school and let's just finish it out here. And 
So I think that's a really big possibility that could happen. Uh, but I guess we're just going to have to see over the next few days. I would imagine this to be a quick process, like in the next week or two, um, just because the amount of teams that are going to have off-season lifting starting back up in June, and you've got, you know, you want if you're going to have a guy come in, you want him to take summer classes, whatever, you've you got to be on campus sooner than later. And so I would think that this will be over in the next couple of weeks either way. Yeah, he's got to get accepted to a grad program yep. to be a grad transfer, which is another thing, um, which is not always easy to do depending on what you're, what you're looking for and what school you're going to. Um, so, yeah, like I said, this should be something where we know what's happening soon. Like, not to keep going back to Antoine Wells, but, you know, that was that was done deal within a couple days. And things happened really fast there. So it's interesting to see things maybe not being on quite the same timeline with Diamante this time around. And, uh, you know, maybe, maybe we haven't seen the last of him in purple and gold. Who knows? Uh, it'll be interesting. If we have... Then what? What's next for JMU? Because uh, you know we look at linebacker was one spot where you know maybe they, they, I'm not gonna say it's not talented. I'm not gonna say it's not necessarily deep, but those guys haven't played a lot compared yeah. to some of the other spots. And you know obviously Torres Jones impressed during the spring. They've got guys coming back from injury. Um, are they okay at linebacker? If if they don't have Diamante next year, I mean, we heard Signetti talk. I think during the spring or after the spring game, when when asked about Torres Jones, and he played really well in the spring game, and, and he's he was kind of the favorite coming out of spring to, to start next to Diamante at linebacker. And he talked about having Jalen Walker, and, and he'd be comfortable with Jalen Walker and Torres Jones out there together if needed. So now that would probably be your starting linebacker combination, at least heading into fall camp, and those two would be the front runners if Diamante were to leave. So I mean. He's comfortable with them there. He's talked about them being there. I just think it's past those two guys, like, where you really look after that. Yeah. And maybe if there is a silver lining, it might be just the style of defense that JMU plays. Yeah. They're not going out there with a 3-4 front, and, you know, they're not trying to find, you know, a dozen linebackers that they need to play lots of snaps. Like, they basically play two linebackers at a time. And uh, so, you know, if there is a silver lining for this, it's not necessarily the position they have to be the deepest at. Um, but you also wanted this guy out there to be in the middle of everything. The guy, the most experienced guy, the best leader on the team. Yeah, you, you wanted him there in that position, especially if he's going to be playing next to somebody who's not super experienced. Um, so how much does that hurt? That <clears throat> I think the talent's there. I think the talent's there. I think the depth's there. Honestly, mm-hmm. but how much does it hurt just from a leadership standpoint and a cohesiveness standpoint that you might not have that guy? where, you know, you were kind of counting on them there. Yeah, I mean, like, if you look at back to the whole spring as a whole, I mean, they were really pushing Diamante to be that leader. And, and you talk, we talk about it all the time. His name came up with You talked to any defensive player over the spring. We talked to a bunch of them. We talked to Deion Jones, who transferred from Boston College at safety. And he even just mentioned, like, you know, Tuck just being that leader on the defense, in the locker room, on the field, and off the field. So it's that's, the, I think, the, the piece that they miss the most, is that that leader in the locker room, Knowing, like, because we've seen him take charge. We've seen him really become that guy. And, and we know on the offensive side of the ball, it's really, like, Percy and Todd Tintail are the two leaders on that side of the ball. And when you, when you look at it, if, if you take Diamante out of the picture, who steps up in that leadership role? And, and that's the that's big question. It's probably another older guy. You could see, like, a Wesley McCormick or someone like that step up. But right now, like, Diamante was the, the, the go-to guy in that, that middle of the defense and being kind of almost the quarterback and being the teacher at times and 
I mean, I think that's that's probably the biggest attribute of his game that they would miss. I mean, talent, they've got the talent back behind them, but I think the biggest thing that they, they don't have at that position would be the, the leadership. Yeah, and it's also kind of interesting when you look at who, the, who they brought in. They brought in a lot of F- FBS transfers on the defensive side of the ball that I would imagine are going to see a lot of snaps. Yeah, They're, those are your experienced guys, really. But they, had, the but they, and all the secondary exception of you know one defensive lineman. Yeah. Um, is yeah, like you said, it's all in the secondary. Mainly. Um, and these guys haven't been in the program. How, um, it seems like there's you know, as much as transfers are going to be a part of college sports yeah. here for the foreseeable future, it seems like there's always been this value to having that one guy who is the leader who has been in the program, even if maybe he's not your best player necessarily, even if he's not your most experienced player, but somebody who's been in your starting lineup, who's been with your coaching staff. You see it all kinds of sports. I mean, you can look over at the JMU men's basketball team. You know, Votto Morse is debatably their best player, probably their best player, but it's not necessarily a sure thing that if uh you know to call molson or somebody is healthy that he's you know clearly the best player but he was the best leader i mean he was the guy for that team last year because he played at jmu already once um you know even you know to call was the most experienced player on the team if chuck falden was the most experienced player on the team they're still deferring to Vado just a little bit because he was a guy who's been at jmu has been with the coaching staff i think in football that's even maybe even a bigger deal like just because of how the intricacy of what you're trying to do and you take you take your linebacker out of it uh who's kind of like the quarterback on the defense side of the ball it, yeah. it seems like just they're gonna have fast guys they're gonna have strong guys it seems like that's what they're gonna be really missing if diamante decides not to come back yeah i mean and we're gonna have to take a take a night like a, a look at it i guess when we find out what the actual decision is made at we'll probably know by the beginning of june at the, at the latest and i mean we talked. We heard Deion Jones in the spring. He talked to us, and the one thing he talked about was, you know, he he recognizes that he's a new guy. He's a grad transfer, one of the oldest guys in the defensive side of the ball, but recognized he was a new guy, and he was he was he was trying to be a leader, but also not really like not the vocal guy. He wants to learn from everybody. He wants to learn from the sophomore that's been here for longer than him, but he also wants to learn from a guy like Tuck. So it'll be interesting to see who steps up for that role if if that is left open and, and I guess we're just going to have to be patient and wait and see yeah <clears throat> and you mentioned this before but I th- find it interesting you know coming in here today I was kind of almost half expecting to be talking about who those transfer portal guys might be that they'd be talking yeah. about because it has happened so fast in the past so it is interesting that you know we really don't have anybody to talk about like okay who's going to replace him who, who's who's the top linebacker in the portal right now like we're not really seeing any of that from JMU no. at this point. So that that is like kind of like the interesting side story to all this is that there doesn't seem to be any kind of rush. It might be a wait and see for JMU. I mean, obviously they know what Diamante is at least thinking a little bit. Yeah. Um, so especially since he's he's put out there that he's open, they're coming back to JMU. So obviously they're leaving the door open, and I think you don't want to leave the door open. Go get a guy, and then realize, well, what are we going to do now if Diamante wants to come back, and you also just recruited a, a transfer linebacker. So we'll see what happens. Um, but I think we'll definitely have something more to know in the f- coming days and coming weeks. Yeah, maybe by the time we come back in here next week, we'll uh, <laughs> be talking about either his destination or his return, triumphant return or you know something something involving the, the news about Jamie football never stops. And so 
least we'll have something as the school year winds down. We'll have at least one topic to talk about next next week, I'm sure. So um, in the meantime, that'll do it for this week's episode of the Purple and Bold podcast. Once again, I'm Shane Metlin here with Noah Fleischman, uh, your beat writers at the Daily News Record. And thank you for listening.